Have you ever wondered what resilience means? Well, there's a couple of definitions of resilience that I looked up and environmental influences. A colleague of mine, W. Thomas Boyce, MD, published a book in 2019 entitled The Orchid and the Dandelion. He was describing how differences in these areas can lead to significantly different outcomes for children in the same family. An orchid, of course, being very exquisite and very fragile, and a dandelion being very robust and sturdy, even in harsh climates. Orchid children need supportive environments, and with that, they will thrive and excel. But they have many vulnerabilities, likely due to a combination of temperament, genetics, and to stressors in their environment, which they may have otherwise been able to rebound from if they were not orchid children. Dr. Boyce began the book by describing him and his younger sister. When they were smaller, he was seven and she was five, they had a relatively benign environment with supportive parents and a good community. But life changed with the birth of a baby brother 10 years after his sister was born, which also coincided with his father falling into a deep depression and abruptly deciding to go back to school for a different career. This led to the uprooting of their family to the San Francisco area and living in two other houses and neighborhoods over the next several years. Dr. Boyce appeared to be able to handle the changes reasonably well, but his sister began to show signs of stress. Different events over the following years continued to move Dr. Boyce and his sister farther apart in how they managed the day-to-day and how they handled stressors. Eventually, he was able to go to medical school and, having a thriving, and have a thriving career in developmental and behavioral pediatrics. His sister excelled academically, but then fell into significant mental health problems, along with having a substantial health problem that sidelined her for the rest of her life. Dandelions, on the other hand, can grow and thrive just about anywhere as our yards and sidewalk cracks show us every summer. We've heard of these kids who may have had long histories of problems, maybe being in uh, high poverty areas with lots of violence. I have uh, one colleague who is a, a national speaker who went through his parents dying and then he was in foster care and then he was adopted and then his adoptive parents died and yet he's still thriving and he's sharing with others about how to thrive. He definitely is a dandelion. So what factors affect resilience? When we talk about the factors that affect resilience, we can look first at the ACEs study. ACEs, A-C-E, small s, stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Research over the last 30 years, which led to the publication of the findings in the late 1990s, showed that the greater the number of adverse experiences a child had growing up, the greater their likelihood of lifelong physical and mental health disorders. These experiences covered the areas of abuse, neglect, and family dysfunction. 
Multiple studies have shown that these factors, in conjunction with a low socioeconomic status, which is abbreviated SES, increase the likelihood of lifelong hardship in terms of physical and or mental health. Further research to look at the outliers have shown that there is a group of one in five children who have adverse outcomes despite whatever their SES is. These are the children that Dr. Boyce found to be the ORCID children. He and other researchers were able to determine that there were dandelion children, which make up about 80% of children, who appeared resilient despite hardships such as low SES. These children did not excel exceptionally better than the ORCID children in positive environments. In fact, they were not as successful overall in positive environments as the ORCID children were. But they did significantly better than the ORCID children when there was more adversity, including when they lived in low SES communities. The ORCID children were found to have a low stress tolerance, so that when stressed, they released more cortisol than their system would could manage. They also had an overly reactive autonomic system, abbreviated ANS, meaning that they reached the fight or flight state more rapidly than their dandelion peers. It was also harder to shut these systems off since they were geared to trigger at lower levels of stress. When looking at the role of temperament and its effect on orchid and dandelion children, the orchid children were found to be more withdrawal in nature, although some could be fairly social, had more problems with transitions, many were more intense in their emotions, although some would be low intensity, which meant that they didn't show much, but it was still deep within them. And they were more attuned to sensory differences, so they'd get overwhelmed by uh, senses such as touch, taste, texture, sound volume. In the Chess and Thomas model of temperament, these were most likely the difficult children. These children made up about 15% of the temperament spectrum. Some may have also been slow to warm up, but the largest contributors were the difficult cluster. Temperament are traits of behavioral and emotional response which are present at birth and maintain at a relatively stable level throughout life. They are inherited from their families, which leads to the understanding about the role of genetics, genes, and epigenetics in life outcomes. I noted that these traits remain relatively stable through life, but there can be some smoothing out of the degree of expression of the traits based on how others react or respond to the trait in different situations. If the adult works in a compassionate manner when the child's trait is being stressed, the child will learn strategies and coping mechanisms to modulate the expression of the trait over time. If, however, the adult reacts negatively to the trait, the child becomes more stressed and shows more negative behaviors in the future. An example how that can play out is by the response to a child who is upset and crying. The adult can either support the child and help him develop calming routines, or as was heard by many children of my generation, the adult response would be, if you're going to cry, I'll give you a reason to cry.
The third area that affects how resilient children are consists of any developmental or physical disorders, which will make interaction, learning, and responses to those around them different. Children with language disorders, mild to moderate intellectual disorders, autism, ADHD, and learning disorders are frequently described as having invisible disorders, unlike the child with cerebral palsy or spina bifida, when there are obvious difficulties in movement and independence. Children with more minor motor disorders may be recognized as having difficulties, or they may be considered clumsy or sloppy. In the latter case, they may be criticized or ridiculed or even punished. For all three areas of temperament and genetics, development and biology, and the environment, those with the most adverse living conditions of low SES, housing and food insecurity, and high un- and underemployment in their parents will have the greatest risk of poor adult outcomes. So how do we address the vast majority and the one in five children? Programs are always looking to help most children who are in high-risk situations. There are many across the country, from Head Start, Healthy Steps, uh, and Academy of Pediatrics, Bright Futures. But their success rates are varied and need to be quantified to understand why some children are being missed. And the ORCID children may not be in the population that the programs are targeting. Let's look at possible factors. Low SES, rental mental health problems, lack of job opportunities that pay living wages, lack of educational opportunities, community violence, domestic abuse, lack of parental nurturing due to lack of models when they were growing up psychological or emotional abuse, distrust by parents as to the support versus criticism they will get from the programs, and systematic racism, which puts invisible barriers to moving beyond other factors. These are the factors used for setting up programs to help at-risk children. If we start with trying to put the supports in for the children, However, we may not address the needs of the parents. If we start with trying to support the parents' problems, they may not meet the needs of the children. And if we're only addressing the at-risk children and not the middle and upper class children, we're also missing another population. It is a real chicken and the egg situation. If we limit program availability to only those with low SES, parents with challenging children in the middle and upper classes may not get the type of help they need. They will likely end up with their children being diagnosed with disorders such as attachment disorder, ADHD, and oppositional defiant disorder. These children will likely go to have additional diagnoses of depression and anxiety. As they hit upper grade levels, they'll be more apt to experiment in drugs, cigarettes, and alcohol to treat the pains they are feeling. Programs to help these children 
need to look at community-based approaches that will also engage middle and upper-class families. This would most likely be through educational efforts in the community school districts, healthcare practices, businesses through their human resource departments, and local faith organizations. It could also be offered at health and wellness centers in addition to exercise and fitness programs currently offered. The avenues of access for parents need to address their time and oftentimes their desire for privacy so that others don't find out that they are struggling with child rearing issues or their own mental health issues, which are affecting their ability to be there for their children. It would be most helpful if it could be interactive in some manner. Examples of ways to engage these families might be live programs, ideally with access to childcare as an option to uh, bring them in. Written materials for those who prefer this method, along with some interaction with a trained facilitator could be another option. Online, live or pre-recorded classes could be an option. And podcasts that cover different top topics could also be an option. All of these would be more effective if the parent would interact either with an anonymous group or a trained therapist or facilitator. This would provide parents with the opportunity to ask questions about issues they are having, such as when the recommendations differ from how they were raised or how they approach parenting issues. These programs would focus on developing safe, stable, nurturing relationships between children and adults. The intent of these types of programs would be to mitigate stressors through a public health approach, foster adaptive skills, and respond to adversity in healthy, adaptive manners. An example that is being integrated into many school districts to improve student outcomes, which will also provide them with tools for greater resilience, is called social-emotional learning. This consists of five core areas of competency, competency for individuals to master. These are self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making skills. One potential problem with current programs is that they're geared only for the zero to five age group. While it is very important to work with these children, although most of them tend to be through programs for high-risk children, it is not necessarily enough to only address them. It doesn't necessarily reach children who would not qualify due to their social determinants of health. Social determinants of health are the conditions in the environment where people are born, live, learn, work, play, worship, and their age that affects a wide range of health, functioning, and quality of life outcomes and risks. These determinants are economic stability, educational access and quality, healthcare access and quality, neighborhood and built environment, and social and community context. Children who qualify could have issues such as unsafe housing, transportation and neighborhoods, racism, discrimination and violence, inadequate education, job opportunities and income, limited access to nutritious foods and physical activity opportunities, 
polluted air and water, and issues in language and literacy skills. These are not issues that most families in the middle and upper classes would have. So their children would likely not be identified as or qualify for programs to help develop their social and emotional skills, even though they may need it as much as the high-risk children. It would be important for these children to be reached through community childcare settings, encouraging the centers to have parent training options for these skills development issues. The current approaches and the ones suggested would still miss the children who don't use childcare for whatever reason. This means that K-12 schools are the next level of contact. Schools need to make sure that the five core areas are both taught and reinforced in all classrooms and throughout the school. This would include changing attitudes on teasing and bullying, which many schools still often put the responsibility on the victim to change the situation. Many of the bullies are lacking the development of the above skills due to issues within their own home. PTA should provide opportunities for parents to learn about social emotional learning or SEL and how to apply it in their homes. For children who are struggling in school, there would need to be a combined consequence for the student and the parents to learn the above skills with the parents modeling at home. Employers using their HR departments could implement SEL programs under the umbrella of diversity, customer service, or leadership management to further educate and model for employees methods which lead to better relationships between employees, between employees and supervisors or bosses, and between employees and customers. Other community organizations could also find ways to provide mentorship and skills building for their customers or clients to improve the culture of their organizations. There are 10 tips I'm gonna offer you now to help build resilience. And children learn from others, especially adults around them, how to do these skills. Whether you use a specific program or not to help children, it is important for you to keep these different tips and core goals in mind. The first one is make connections. Help them learn to do this to build their listening and empathy skills. The more they interact with others and they listen and try to understand where they're coming from, the better they will be. Help the child by having them learn to help others. This will increase their sense of competence and their self-image. You can work to have them help others through community-based activities or by helping you with tasks you know that they can master. Maintain a daily routine. Children do better if they can predict what is coming next in their lives. Their brains will trigger a cortisol response and an ANS response when they feel unsure of what they're supposed to do next or know what will happen next. Routines, along with advanced notice of changes and where they will occur in the day, will allow them to turn down those stress responses more quickly. Take a break. Allow the child time to reset their brains and bodies if they've been doing stressful activities, whether it be schoolwork, going to the dentist, or visiting relatives. Find out about any concerns or worries that they may be experiencing, allowing for time to help them problem solve possible solutions. Don't simply give them a solution, 
since they will become dependent on you and others to solve their stress. Help them come up with possible answers and go through the pros and cons of each. If they haven't thought of the most effective solution, ask in a question form what they think this idea might be. Do you think this would work? And again, go through pros and cons so they don't feel like you just gave them the answer of how to go forward. Teach your child self-care. This is very important since many adults have not yet learned these skills and it can lead to home stressors that children face. Help them think about what they need in terms of eating, sleeping, and playing in addition to what is required for home chores and schoolwork. Move toward your goals. Help your child develop the skill of setting up goals and set up steps to reach that goal. It will help lessen the sense of failure since it shows that many tasks can't be done all at once. Nurture a positive self-view. Help children review their past successes despite being challenged at the time. Reinforce that each challenge that they complete helps build their skills for the next challenge. Keep things in perspective and maintain a hopeful outlook. Help them see that there is a future beyond the current situation and that the future can be good. An optimistic and positive outlook can enable children to see the good things in life and keep going even in the hardest times. Look for opportunities for self-discovery. When situations are tough, help your child notice what he is made of, which is helping him move forward to get past the challenge. This may be starting again if he doesn't finish at first, or recognizing he is making progress because he continues to work through the problem. And also accept change. Help your child understand that changes do occur, which will require them to relook at their goals, modifying them as needed for the new reality in order to go forward. Help them see that life is full of changes, such as infancy to toddlerhood, to preschool, etc. Discuss what was different with the changes, but also the positive aspects of the change. Building resilience in children is the responsibility of the village. And as such, each member needs to have their own resilience to share to help children develop the skills needed to be an, a successful adult. It also requires the village to provide assistance to adults who are still struggling in the area of resilience so that they can become positive role models for their children. This would be the second or third tiers of assistance, addressing the concerns in the areas of social determinants of health. And in the middle and upper class families, mental health issues such as anxiety, depression, PTSD, and addictions. There could also be domestic abuse since this knows no boundaries and needs to be stopped for the health of all families. By addressing social and emotional health and skills simultaneously to children and their parents, we could conceivably put an end to the epidemic of hate and conspiracy theories that are flooding our media.
Resilient skills allow everyone to move past the fight or flight reaction and allows for deeper thought, which includes analyzing what is being said or done and problem solving more positively adaptive responses. My call to action to you is this. Contact your local school districts to find out where they are in terms of providing social and emotional learning for all their students. Where are their teachers in terms of buy-in and competence in providing the training to their students for these skills? Check with the County Public Health Department to find out where they and local organizations and agencies are in terms of identifying individuals who need assistance to improve their resilience skills. If possible, volunteer to be a mentor to those in need. Or if you feel you could benefit from some skill building in social emotional learning, reach out to organizations that you have found in your community or to a mental health provider to deal with the issues that have put the barriers in, in place for you. By working through your issues and being able to reframe the situation, you will increase your own SEL and become more resilient.